Since uh, Hurricane Ida happened, uh, we've been sort of offline uh, with uh, you know a lot of technical things, a lot of computer issues, a lot of uh, different things. But we've got the we've got the machine back up. We've got the content train back running. We have a lot of brand new episodes that you can listen to uh, right here and in all the other places that we uh, where we broadcast. But uh, yeah, right now you're listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. Uh, good morning, comrade. Yeah, so um, it's good to be back from Ida. Um, I'm here. Uh, I'm alive. I'm live. And uh, back to doing this. And, you know, one of the things that I've got on my brain lately, one of the things I keep thinking about a lot is, so um, we like to talk a lot about unions on this show. And uh, right now, and I'm... uh, there's a lot of sort of union action taking place, uh, specifically strikes uh, across the country. So, so across cu- country. Uh, so I'm looking at my buddy uh, Jonah Furman's website, and uh, we're hopefully going to ha- get him to come on the show very soon. Uh, he has a, a good substack that I want to shout out called Who Gets the Bird? Check it out at whogetsthebird.substack.com. And what he does a lot on that show on on that um not a show it's a blog really uh he sort of does these like weekly uh union roundups essentially um like every week or so he'll um do a post of things that have um new organizing and uh strikes and bargaining issues and uh, a lot of stuff like that and he's also so the um strike section this month is actually pretty like shocking or this week rather shockingly um there's a lot going on so let me just sort of like jump into this and look at some of the things that we have going on in our um in our like in the labor movement and specifically with labor stoppages in the united states so um this is almost gonna be like a listicle type episode uh, for that kind of thing. So strap in. This is all the stuff that's happening with unions right now. And I can get into a little bit detail for each one. 2,000 Buffalo healthcare workers with CWA Local 1133 at Catholic Health Mercy Hospital struck Friday morning against the understaffing and low wages. There are actually more than 2,000 workers whose hopes hang on the contract, but only the one hospital is permitted to strike. It's so open-ended uh, it's open-ended, so this could be a long one, but let's hope it's not. So Buffalo has 2,000 nurses on strike. Uh, Pacific Northwest Council of Carpenters um, is uh, back at the bargaining table with the Contract Association with a rank and file representative from 
dissident Peter J. McGuire group sitting at the table. The article, this article has some good details, so let's get into that. So, um, 450 workers at the nickel, the largest nickel alloy production facility in the world, uh, special uh, special metals Huntington, West Virginia plant, are on strike with steel locals local 40. So steel workers local 40 as of Friday. 15 minutes down the road, 50 workers for Swiss pump manufacturer Seltzer are on strike in Barbersville, West, West Virginia, uh, with Machinist Union Local 598 as the company attempts to gut the seniority system. So that's one of the things that happens a lot um, when it comes to, like, bosses, uh, is that they, they will often, like, look at systems of seniority and try to dismantle them. They'll try and take them apart um, and sort of try and rhetorically throw in this like, oh, well, this person's been a long time. They haven't done anything. You know, they're, 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 you work way harder than this guy that's been here for 10 years. And what essentially happens is they, um, pit, it's, it's something that pits workers against one another. And like seniority exists for a reason because if you work at a job for long enough, you're, I mean, it makes sense that you would get you know, paid for that loyalty and paid for that time that you've continued to work there for many, many years. And, um, you know, bosses don't want to pay workers more. I mean, to be very, uh, very frank about it. I mean, that's just what they don't want. Uh, so, um, but they, they go after these sort of seniority systems to sort of take workers out, um, and, and, and destroy worker solidarity. Um, Let's just get, talk about the Carpenters Union that sits at the bargaining table for the first time. So this is um, the uh, rank-and-file organizers, the Peter J. McGuire Group, is especially sick of union bargaining team not delivering. These carpenters want good family wages, paid parking, and a $15 raise over three years. The last failed contract offer, which, was, uh, which the membership rejected in a 56-44 vote, included 20.4% increase in wages and benefits over four years stronger harassment and discrimination protections and more parking reimbursement (laughs) in a city like Seattle um, where parking like every city is like this now, but like parking is just like impossible and extremely expensive. People that live in New Orleans definitely understand that, Um, you know, with the meters or with, uh, you know, parking lots and garages and everything. There's nowhere to park in in news. I mean, in the uh, city these days. So, um, like when you work, you have to park and the fact that you're have to pay t- to go to work is kind of messed up, right? It's kind of a weird dynamic. Um, so anyway, uh, that's what they want, uh, at this place in, um, at this, the Carpenters, this Peter J. McGuire group in, um, Seattle. So shouts to them, uh, <clears throat> yeah, solidarity. Um, we mentioned the um, workers at the nickel alloy production facility. Uh, we mentioned the, the 450 there, the 50 workers at the pump manufacturer uh, with the machinists, uh, local 553 workers, uh, Teamsters, local 553, uh, trans, transit workers um, in Reno, Nevada are on strike as well. Uh, so... <laughs> 
Yeah, so here here we go here we go again. On Monday, RTC bus drivers announced that they were going on strike for the second time since August, halting bus service in the region. The, uh, the Reno Gazette Journal spoke with Gary Watson, president of Teamsters Local 553, and Mike Akey, a regional vice president of operation at, for uh, Keolis North America, about the strike and what their next steps are moving forward. So um, bidding procedures. So basically they're talking about protesting unfair labor practices and bad faith bargaining during negotiations for, uh, for like bidding stuff. And that's how they schedule their routes, how the bus drivers sort of like schedule their routes. Um, and so the bidding procedures now allow bus drivers to choose which routes they want to operate on a daily basis. And probably it's based on seniority. Um, but this allows the bus drivers to flex uh, the flexibility to work around childcare, I'm reading from the article now, elder care, or any other personal needs, uh, said the um, president of that local, Gary Watson. Uh, Keolis proposed block-style bidding, meaning Keolis will create blocks around the routes, and the bus drivers will have to work within those blocks. Watson said that he could cause bus drivers to work longer days or split shifts. So, essentially, the um, the workers are like not giving given the sort of flexibility they had. Uh, they're not getting the hours that they needed. They're sort of like getting kind of pushed around and, and made to work these sort of like weird schedules. Um, yeah, and so like Mike Akey, the vice president of Keolis, uh, said that um, this is a sort of like response. This is what the boss is saying. This is the boss's, like the boss's perspective from the article. Uh, Aki said that there's a schedule negotiation se session last Thursday and Friday and that the strike on Monday caught him off guard. Oh, wow. We didn't see this coming. Like we really, you know, you know, despite the fact that it was very obvious and like the entire process for strike, um, strike, um, sort of clearing it by, by membership authorization by membership is, is usually pretty, um, pretty, pretty intense. It's really weird that, that, you know, th th they're going to say this like, Oh, we weren't expecting this. We thought everything was fine. We, we treat our workers perfect here, like a family. Um, but no, I mean, obviously the workers don't feel that way. Um, and so, yeah, when the bus drivers return to work, um, there's no scheduled date for when the bus drivers will end the strike and return to work. The previous bus strike began on August 3rd, a halted all bus service and did not resume until August 14th after tentative agreement was made between the union representing them, drivers, and the county's bus driver, Keolis North America. So there you go. We got, we got bus drivers in Reno, Nevada on strike, uh, which is happening for the second time in just a couple of months, which is kind of incredible. Um, distillery workers. This is the whiskey strike. Uh, distillery workers in uh, Haven, Bardstown, Kentucky. Uh, they're continuing a strike. 420 of these folks are on strike in uh, Kentucky. Uh, fighting management's attempt to move to an alternative schedule which would eliminate weekend overtime, among other issues. Ooh, I love when the boss decides that they're just going to end weekend overtime, which means, it, by the way, that doesn't mean that they stop, like, 
working overtime, it doesn't mean that at all. It means they stop paying you for working that overtime. They stop paying you the overtime wages, but you still work the same number of hours, essentially. Um, Dateline Bardstown, Kentucky. On Tuesday, uh, United Food and Commercial uh, Workers, UFCW, the union uh, over 25,000 uh, union for over 25,000 essential Kentucky workers statewide. This is from uh, News 40, by the way, in Kentucky. Um, statewide, as well as 420 Heaven Hill distillery workers still on strike at the company's main facility in Bardstown, call on the company to return to the negotiating table to continue efforts to reach an agreement on a five-year contract. A federal negotiator urged the company to rejoin talks with UFCW Local 23D, the Union for Heaven Hill Bardstown Workers, and the $500 million, uh, dollar, $500 million company met with workers and the union on Monday, September 27th. My birthday, by the way. That, well, that's my birthday. Uh, back, back on Monday, last Monday. However, despite federal negotiator calling for Heaven Hill to continue negotiations tomorrow, September 29th, the company refused to return to the table. Incredible. So this is last week, mostly. Um, but yeah, Heaven Hill Distillery Works, this is um, from um, the union. Heaven Hill Distillery Workers are standing up for a fair contract that protects good-paying Kentucky jobs and keeps our economy and community strong. Heaven Hill is threatening good jobs in our community by proposing a contract that makes cuts to overtime and threatens to divide its workers with unclear and potentially unfair scheduling. For nearly three weeks, these um, hardworking Kentuckians have been speaking out to, to stop these uh, cuts and protect the uh, these Kentucky distillery jobs that have supported our families for generations. So they just want the workers just want to get paid to a, like a fair wage to do their work, and they don't want to work crazy hours to do it. Uh, continuing, we have been overwhelmed by the strong support from local business owners taking Heaven Hill products off their shelves until the strike is over and are grateful to everyone standing with these Kentucky union workers and their families. That's awesome. Um, as the union for Heaven Hill workers, UFCW Local 23D has been eager to reach an agreement on a fair contract that supports, uh, supports good Kentucky jobs. We are pleased that Heaven Hill responded to the federal mediator's call to return to the negotiating table and encouraged by the progress we made in discussions on Monday. We were disappointed to hear that Heaven Hill is refusing to continue negotiations tomorrow and urge them to reconsider. Our first priority is delivering a strong contract for these Kentucky workers. We are calling on Heaven Hill to work together with, with us uh, now to help us. Uh, end this strike and make the critical investments needed to support good Kentucky jobs and keep our economy and community strong. That is great. Um, so yeah, that's that's awesome. This is good stuff from um, UFCW. Obviously, solidarity with the uh, workers out there at the Heaven Hill facility in Bardstown, Kentucky. Um, this isn't usually how we do shows, but. Um, I'm fine with this. This is kind of awesome. Just like rolling through uh, various uh, various labor um, disputes or li like like workers standing up for themselves for fair wages. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're gonna keep doing that today. So you're listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, Good Morning Comrade uh, .com. You can get more information there. Um, and yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at eminentprof. 
Um, but yeah, there's more um, strike action. That's what we're talking about today um, across the country. Uh, we have members of U United Auto Workers Local 509 at Senior Airspace SSP in Burbank, California, remain on strike. Several hundred people here. Uh, there's been zero press coverage of the strike, the strike being a large industrial action uh, in a big metro area. But a curious reader of this newsletter went to, to picket line and spoke to some workers who said that there's been no scabbing and that the biggest issue is proposed health care cost increases. So health care costs go up, workers hit the streets. They, they say, knock it off. Um, musicians in San Antonio. The San Antonio Symphony is on strike. That rules. What is going on here? We got the symphony on strike. <laughs> what? Let's see. Let's see. Here's a headline. The union representing oh. the musicians of the San Antonio Symphony has declared a strike. Recently, the symphony declared an impasse during contract negotiations. So... <laughs> That's kind of that's kind of wild. The, the union representing the yeah musicians in the San Antonio Symphony has declared a strike after the symphony declared an impasse during negotiations. Early in the pandemic, musicians of the San Antonio Symphony Orchestra adapted by creating a virtual symphony performance. What? One of one of the other ways they adapted was by approaching the San Antonio Symphony Society and offering to reopen their contract. The musicians voluntarily agreed to take an 80, that's 80% pay cut during last season in order to keep the San Antonio Symphony together and on stage during the pandemic. There's, they literally, the workers said, hey, we, want, we, we love the San Antonio Symphony so much that we are going to take an 80% pay cut. Holy smokes. Um, that's kind of wild. Um, so Marianne Ellen Gorey is one of these folks. Uh, she's the person that, that made the quote above. Um, and she's been playing classical music for most of her life. Uh, she goes on to say, uh, well, I fell in love with playing orchestral music as a child of maybe 11. Uh, it's been a long road from her hometown of Ottawa kansas to becoming a principal second violin at the san antonio symphony she has studied lived and worked in places like indiana louisiana even hey here even japan <laughs> it became clear and clear to me that this is what i belong doing she said this is what i'm here for um our auditions are not local auditions they are advertised nationally and people come from all over Symphony employed 72 full-time musicians after months of negotiation. The symphony put forward what they called their last best offer, which would reduce the size of the symphony down to 42 full-time musicians with a contingent of 26 part-time musicians. So they pro they're moving workers from full-time to part-time, and they're tr cutting the number of them like in half, almost, like a little bit bigger than half. Going from 72 to 42, and they said they would take a huge cut in pay so people didn't have to lose their jobs. But the symphony's just like, nah, you know what? People need to lose their jobs. The board of the symphony is committed to basically be living within its means, said Corey Coward. More like Corey Coward, uh, the executive director of the symphony. 
that we have to agree to budgets that are still aspirational, but more importantly, achievable. Blech. That's total boss talk. Oh, got to tighten the belt, baby. Uh, no, thank you. Uh, the musician rejected the offer. Quote uh, from Marianne Gorey. Um, that's not what people auditioned for. That's not what people accepted. That's not what people moved here for, she says. Uh, and also, I would be very surprised if a large number didn't leave. I mean, basically, anyone who could leave would leave. Yeah, so if they do this, essentially, they're going to destroy this orchestra. Um, so that's, that's a wild story. Oh, my gosh. What? Sorry, ads. Stop it. Oh, my gosh. Local... Uh, Local radio, I mean, I'm sorry, local, like, television, um, <laughs> local television, um, uh, web, web, websites are absolutely just, like, littered with ads. Like, even with an ad blocker on, they're just, they're just smeared all over the place. There's also a list of potential strikes that could be coming, and there's one in particular that I want to talk about, uh, at length, um, in this in this episode so um stay hold on to your belts for that one uh early friday afternoon the united auto workers and john deere announced a tentative agreement in keeping with the uaw's infinite blackout negotiation style which has been particularly bad at deere and, per, and a protracted fiasco at volvo in virginia earlier this year members won't even get this is back to jonah's article by the way um members won't even get a quote highlighter until next friday each member gets a single copy of the highlight sheet and has, has a three-hour window to pick it up, at least according to the rules of the some locals, and won't vote until Sunday, the 10th. That's a good... Um, anyway, um, before the tentative agreement announced, um, there is a lot of information on this um, that you can check out actually on uh, further writing that uh, Jonah has done at labornotes.org, which you should check out. Um, but yeah, 10,000 10, members of nine UAW locals in Iowa, Illinois, and Kansas counted down the hours to the ex expiration of their contract with John Deere. The members had voted to authorize the strike by 99% two and a half weeks ago. Many members expected to be walking a picket line when the clock struck midnight. Locals had assigned picket duties um, and arranged for carpools for different shifts. Management had canceled third shift and emptied perishables from vending machines at the Ottawa John, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Atomwa John Deere plant. Uh, it came as a shock to at least some members when at 12.01 a.m., UAW Local 281 posted on their Facebook page, we've been notified by the bargaining team we are on an extension. Good progress has been made, um, but they are still talking. Report to work tomorrow. In an email from the company with the subject line, quote, our work continues, members learned that John Deere and UAW have agreed to extend the current collective bargain agreement through October 15th. The UAW website had even less detail. The UAW and John Deere have agreed to extend the current collective bargain agreement with parties continue to make progress towards achieving a tentative agreement. Huh. Uh, members were mad, apparently, about that. Um... And so, like, there's just sort of a disconnect, it seems to me, between members of the union and, and, and leadership of that union. But, I mean, yeah, that's something that's uh, worth looking at.
check out uh, Jonah's article on on uh, labor notes for that labornotes.org um, for more information. So um, just to continue down, uh, big strike at IOTSI. Um, IOTSI is a stagehand union primarily, um, which is essentially the people that make movies happen. Like everybody is familiar with the Screen Actors Guild and you know the Writers Guilds and all these other things. But if you don't have people that construct sets and maintain um, like the actual like make that stuff happen, wardrobe, makeup, all that stuff, that's all IOTSI. That's all IOTSI union work. And uh, there are folks that are on strike about that. And I'm going to read this explainer, which is in Variety Magazine, which is pretty interesting. Uh, goes to a broad audience. Everything you need to know about Hollywood's IOTSI strike vote. A year after COVID-19 pandemic shuttered the entertainment industry worldwide, the studios are churning out contact at, uh, content at a breakneck pace. I mean, literally, there's some, there seems like I can't keep up myself. Like, there's something new that's coming out like every five seconds. Workers are in high demand and it has been hard for some shows to find enough grips and set the decorators to keep up. It's somewhat strange then to think that it could all come to a screeching halt. But this weekend, the IOC, uh, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees will hold a vote on whether to authorize a strike that would once again shut down the industry. The vote is expected to pass by an overwhelming margin. It's actually by the time this, uh, this, I mean, this is a week ago by the time this thing, the vote happened. There was a 80 some percent, like 83% or something like that. 88% um, participation by members in striking locals. And there is, there was like a 98% um, approval by membership that voted yes on the strike. So it was extremely profoundly like overwhelmingly the, uh, the view of the workers that we need to go on strike folks. We need to do it. Um, but yeah, what does the union want? So um, this is from the variety article. The money is definitely a part of it. The primary issues relate to workers' quality of life. The industry has long expected workers to put in 14-hour days. 14-hour days. So if you start working at 6 in the morning, you get off at 8 at night. If you start working at 8 in the morning, 10 at night, <laughs> that is a long day. Like when I used to work double shifts at restaurants, it wasn't that long. It would be like 10-hour days. The shift, to, the shift to streaming and the explosion of demand has only sped up the pace. Before, workers might have expected weeks of downtime between shows. Now they can jump from one show to the next. Workers complain of exhaustion and being too tired to drive home safely. Jeez. So um, the union is seeking a 10-hour minimum turnaround. So, like, literally, like... <laughs> You remember that, like, when people think about, like, the eight-hour workday? Like, this is literally, <laughs> they want there to be 10 hours between workdays, which is, like, that's still clopening. That's still, like, closing and opening the next shift, right? But, like, 
they want that to be a minimum is just like a regular clopen. Uh, the time between production days for all workers on all types of productions. The union negotiators argued that workers need a minimum of eight hours home plus an hour each way to communicate the set. Some classifications have that already, but others have only eight or nine hour turnarounds. So like you don't even get eight hours of sleep at night. You literally like, (laughs) like this is like contingent and I don't lurk in the industry. So like, you have to excuse me, but like this is this is an eminently reasonable ask. Unions are also seeking a minimum of fifty-four hour turnaround on weekends, so that what they want essentially is to have a weekend. That would uh, put an end to the dreaded Friday, a late Friday shift that ends on Saturday morning. Oh my God! That also want they also want to dramatically increase meal penalties, which are the payments that productions are obligated to provide if workers do not get a meal break. So if you don't get lunch, they have to pay you for not getting lunch. For many workers, a production will have to pay eight dollars and fifty cents for the first half hour without a meal, eleven dollars for the second half hour, and thirteen fifty for each hour after that. That sounds fair to me. I mean, like if you're not gonna break for lunch. At least pay the people that are going to be hungry while they have to do this work. Those payments can work out to hundreds of extra dollars a week, though at the cost of having to eat standing up or skipping meals entirely. Unions have suggested increasing those payments as much as threefold as a way of forcing studios to actually take the meal break rather than just budgeting budgeting in the penalties. And, like, yeah. (laughs) make If they're going to pull that kind of stuff... Make them feel it. Like, make them, (laughs) make them, make them, make them do it. Like, that's, that's pretty common sense. Uh, let me just pause right in the middle of this frustration idea. You're listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade, goodmorningcomrade.com, uh, where you can get more information. Um, but yeah, what are studios? We're talking about, um, right now, the IATSE strike, the um, stage workers, the uh, film crew workers uh, union um, that is that just voted overwhelmingly, 98%, to go on strike in, um, to authorize a strike, rather. Um, they're not necessarily going to go on strike, but if, they, if one needs to be called, the union can do it. Um, which the members just said, that's cool. We sign off on this. So um, that's very, very powerful. That gives a, a very strong mandate to the leadership of that union. So um, hopefully they can get that, that contract. Um, what are the studios willing to give? So we just talked about prior to presentation ID, what the workers wanted. They want essentially like a minimum of 10 hours between shifts. They want weekends. They don't want this like dreaded Friday. They don't want this fifty. They want a fifty-four hour turnaround on weekends. So essentially, if it's the weekend, you get the weekend off. That's fair to me. Um, AMPTP, which is the studio that is um, being sort of like the other belligerent in this, uh, on the other side of the union, the boss. Um, the AMPTP said it offered improved rest periods for certain types of workers on certain types of production. So, okay, 
this is interesting because it's like, oh yeah, for this situation we can do this, for that kind of situation we can do that. What they're doing is they're complicating the the um the issue. They're muddying the waters so that they can essentially divide workers and so the ones that would qualify for that might peel off. And what the workers need to do is stand together against that. Like you you can't have, you know, people getting bought off by the boss and just just getting you know extra you know privileges or whatever um that that causes a lot more problems in the long run and it, it really screws over uh the workers that don't <laughs> that don't qualify for that essentially um yeah workers on their first season for editors and different several types of show uh, they have not been open to jacking up meal penalties in part because they believe that workers simply want to pocket the extra money. You know what? If they want to pocket the extra money, so what? Give them a lunch break. If you don't want them to pocket the extra money, give them a lunch break. Like, that's not that complicated. Like, oh, no, these workers, they're going to they're trying to get extra money from us for not eating lunch. Um, well, give them a lunch. Like, literally, that number would be zero. The number would be zero if the um if you if you give these workers a lunch. That's a complete and utter like ridiculous um a ridiculous sort of claim by by AMPTP because like you're in control. You can mandate that your directors or whatever, whoever, you know, calls the shots on these um on these on these sets say Okay, you get a lunch break, or you can at least you can penalize them. Well, there's a million things that you can do, and if you just want to complain that the workers want more money, so what? Like, if if you're taking away their lunch, pay them for it, dude. Like, that's not that. That's not that complicated. They have not engaged with the union's proposal to eliminate Fridays, so they want they want to continue the long the long uh, the long week the long no weekends off essentially um which is not which is no good they've suggested wider use of so-called french hours and which can which crews can go vote to forego breaks and penalties in exchange for a shorter work day so like <laughs> when they basically are saying like actually we want um we want lunch breaks um and basically the boss is saying like actually you can just decide not to have lunch breaks the unions have been uninterested in that, noting that some workers are not able to eat while on set. They also argue that a shorter camera day, say 10 hours, might still mean a longer work day for those who are not on set. <sighs> so the strike vote passed, and yeah, there is a possibility that things are going to shut down. Things might shut down, folks. And that's, I mean, when things get out of balance, that's what needs to happen. Uh, it's it's literally what needs to happen. So obviously, solidarity with the Ayatsi workers nationwide. By the way, there's a local here in New Orleans um, that is uh, going to be going on as well. Um, and you can actually support those workers from various different places. You can follow Ayatsi on Twitter. Um, as well to get uh, the most recent updates so um, yeah it's 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 awesome folks uh, we have we have a ver <laughs> a veritable strike tober 
uh, a Bruin here. Um, but yeah, here's... Um, there is a um, statement from the um, Entertainment Union, the IATSE, the IA. Um, okay, dated October 4th. 2021, by a nearly unanimous margin, IATSE members in TV and film production vote to authorize a nationwide strike. So, um, yeah. Results show 90% of eligible union members cast ballots, with more than 98% of them in support of strike authorization. Members of 36 local unions, representing 60,000 workers from across the country, grant approval for the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, IATSE, International President Matthew Loeb, to call the union's first nationwide strike over equality of life issues. This is from the IATSE website. Um, the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees um, announced today that 60,000 members will work in television and film production across a uh, across the country have voted by nearly unanimous margin to grant IATSE international president Matthew Loeb the authority to call a strike this is the first time in the national okay that was um the first time in the national history of the union 128 year history that members of the union have authorized a nationwide strike huh this is from uh the president of that union uh the members have spoken loud and clear said Loeb the vote is about the quality of life as well as the health and safety of those who work in film and television industry. Our people have basic human needs like time for meal breaks, adequate sweep, sleep, uh, and a weekend. For those at the bottom of the pay scale, they deserve nothing less than a, a living wage. I mean, this is common sense stuff and very like straightforward like language that's being um, operationalized here. Um, beginning October 1st and concluding October 3rd at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard, Standard Time, 60,000 IATSE members who work in film and television productions received ballots voted on whether to empower the International Union's presence to call a strike. On, uh, in the 13 West Coast local unions where members work under the basic agreement, it was required that 75% of members voting in each local union approve the strike vote for that local to authorize a strike. The same conditions applied to the 23 locals across the nation in production hubs, including Georgia, Louisiana, Illinois, New Mexico, operating under the Area Standards Agreement. That threshold was exceeded in all 36 local unions, with none reporting less than 96% voting to authorize a strike. Hell yes. Overall voter turnout was 90%. Support for the strike authorization was more than 98% nationwide. So first off, it is insane. It is absolutely incredible to me that they were able to get 90% of their members to vote in this uh, strike vote. Like that is wild to me. Like that is an extremely high amount of people to, to go out and fill out their ballot. And then on top of that, 98% of them said, yeah, we're going to go on strike. That is a huge mandate. That is a huge statement by the members that they want 
they want the things that they say that they want. They want the end of these um, weird, like, fratter days. They want, at, at minimum, at the very least, a 10-hour turnaround between, like, work and, like, you know, between shifts at work. That's incredible. I hope the studios will see and understand the resol resolve of our members. Love said. Like, like, if they don't notice that, then I don't know what to tell you, brother. The ball is in their court. If they want to avoid a strike, they will return to the bargaining table and make us a reasonable offer. So, I mean, like, that's good stuff right there. Um... Loeb informed the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, AMPTP, of the election results Monday morning, saying, quote, he emphasized the need for the studios to adequately address the union's core issues. In an interview last Thursday on the Los Angeles Times, Loeb provided further information on what is required to meet a settlement. And then there's a petition below. Um, and again... Uh, this is to get through, like, to <laughs> the stuff that they want is like extremely, like, like reasonable, and it's it's articulated once more here. And I'll, I'll go through it one more time. Um, after months of negotiating successor contracts to the producer Ayatsi basic agreement, the theatrical and television um, motion picture area standards agreement. The Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, MPTP, which represents major film and television production companies, announced it does not intend to make any counteroffer to the most recent proposal. Throughout the bargaining process, AMPTP has failed to work with us on addressing the most grievous problems in our workplace, including excessively unsafe and harmful working conditions, unlivable wages for the lowest paid crafts, Consistent failure to provide reasonable rest dur uh, during meal breaks, between workdays, and on weekends. Workers on certain, quote, new media streaming projects get paid less, even on produ productions with budgets that rival or exceed those of traditionally released blockbusters. That's a point that we didn't get into yet, actually. Like, there is a difference between streaming projects and film projects that is like, literally the only difference in terms of like what is like you have essentially more benefits and more money goes to your retirement when you are on the legacy film side of this but if you are if your like project is determined to be new media which includes things like streaming those sort of like residuals that you would normally get if you were in, that's not included in that kind of contract. There's like a loophole, like excluding new media from that, which is wild. It is incomprehensible, back to the uh, petition. It is incomprehensible that AMPTP, an ensemble that includes media mega corporations collectively worth trillions of dollars, claims it cannot um it cannot provide behind the scenes crews with basic human necessities like adequate sleep meal breaks and living wages worse management does not appear to even recognize our core issues as problems that exist in the first place yeah these issues are real for our workers and our industry and change is long overdue however the explosion of streaming combined with the pandemic 
has elevated and aggravated working conditions, bringing 60,000 behind-the-scene workers covered by these contracts to a breaking halt, a breaking point, rather. We risk our, yeah, we risked our health, our safety all year working through the pandemic to ensure that our business emerged intact. Now we cannot and will not accept a deal that leaves us in an unattainable outcome. So there you go. Uh, there's a great petition that you can sign. Uh, put your name on there. Uh, to show that you support the workers. Uh, they've already gotten over 100,000 uh, signatures collected. Um, they have a goal of 204,000. I've signed it. Um and you should go check out um, the IOTC.net website is where that is. Um, definitely, definitely um, fill that out. Um, but yeah, that's that's what's that's what's happening uh, with the IOTC, with the um, you know theater workers, stage workers. Um, Going to be a huge. It's a huge deal. Um, for in, a, in the middle of a huge month of um, strike action and, and, and work action and labor action uh, happening that we're like in the middle of right now. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling to think about it. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's a wild time to be alive for, for this stuff. You are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade, goodmorningcomrade.com. Uh, uh, this is Jeff, um, back from our long little hiatus from um, after Hurricane Ida. Um, we're back home, we're safe, and we're uh, back in the saddle. We're going to have the whole crew um, jumping in real soon. Uh, it's just me for now, uh, getting things getting things sort of back up and rolling but uh we're gonna have it um we're gonna have everything kind of back together hopefully very soon i want to finish up today by uh talking a little bit about my own well my own sort of field and it's i, I do this fairly often on this show but like i want to be very clear that um it's not always a very comfortable thing to do um like like talking about your own job is is difficult but like right now like and speaking from my own personal experience being a teacher is very difficult um just sort of generally uh it's a, it's, it's it's a difficult job in the terms of like you're managing children you're managing relationships you're managing you know relationships with other teachers you're managing relationships with parents and administrators and and juggling all of these things all at at once and now um we're doing this in the context of um COVID-19 uh, in Louisiana we've recently had to deal with um the hurricane uh, hurricane Ida and um many other sort of situations where um it's been it's been it's been hard right it's been very difficult to sort of um process all the bits of information whilst also like providing the you know teaching for for the kids and and essentially when when people talk about being a teacher you're also kind of a social worker not officially but like you need to make sure that the kids are okay at home um you, you need to make sure that um what they're ha what they're making decisions that that they don't you know that they can essentially continue to 
to essentially like not get them in lasting trouble that it's going to last for a long time. Uh, and you want to, you know, promote the idea of like learning going forward. And, and the way that like we sort of feel uh, in the industry and it's not just teachers, it's like everybody in the field and in, in, in education uh, that goes from bus drivers to custodial workers to um, paraeducators to um, lunchtime monitors. Um, we feel like we're, we're sort of like, I mean, this is me talking. I mean, people in the, in the, in the field might disagree with me, but like, we feel like we're being sort of taken for granted. And, um, there's an article that came out in, in business insider, uh, that is really sort of puts a fine point on that. Uh, it says that America is back to school. But teachers aren't. Um, and it goes on to say that there are a, a jobs report in September found that 144,000 teachers uh, locally in like local districts across the country, um, there's been a decrease in that number, 144,000 teachers, which is like incredible. So let's get to reading this. Um, U.S. jobs report fell uh, short of job estimates in September, adding just 194,000 payrolls, and teachers were not immune to these disappointing results. According to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, local governments lost 101,000 jobs last month, as seen in the below chart. The loss is mainly from education employment. Local government, excluding, educa excluding education, added 42,500 jobs last month, offset by the 144,200 jobs lost and uh, just local government education. So, like, this is local school districts losing educators. People who are teaching are quitting their jobs because of how difficult things are right now, because of how... Um, how dangerous, I mean, in a certain extent, it's like COVID's not over. Um, there's been decisions that have essentially forced us back into uh, teaching in school situations in schools. Now, thank goodness, the numbers recently have been going down. But, but I mean, we that was happening right prior to the Delta variant. But when that, when that happened in, uh, what was it, August? or I mean, sorry, it was, july or august i think it was and the numbers spiked and shot right back up even amongst vaccinated people and um it's very scary uh the following ch so the chart below that sort of shows that um stuff that they just mentioned with the the, the the local government jobs just going through the floor um and by the way the biggest job growth section just to throw this out there as well has been Leisure and hospitality, um, jobs that are very often uh, not union and they're low paid. Uh, there's very erratic hours for those kinds of jobs too. Um, but that's that's also very telling which jobs are um, being being increased and which ones are being like just absolutely going through the floor. Um, the report noted that hiring and education sector in September was quote lower than usual but this anomaly could be due to chaos in the education sector caused by the pandemic like the rise of remote and hybrid learning those changes could have thrown off um off um could have thrown off a seasonal adjustment or the algorithm that the bureau of labor statistics 
uses to adjust for seasonal patterns in hiring and layoffs. And there is not typically a drop in education, like as dramatic as it's been between school years. A senior economist at Glassdoor told Insider that the uh, suspects the drop in government jobs is almost entirely due to seasonal adjustment. That's BS, dude. Um, report noted that since February 2020, employment is down by 310,000 in local government education, by 194 in state government education, and 172 in private education. So education numbers are hugely down. I mean, if you want to like look at those before, it's almost it's almost a, it's over a half a million if you just look at state and local government, and um, and and the drops it's like over a half a million uh, people have have left education and those jobs have not been replaced uh, state and locally um, since February of 2020. So that's slightly over it's about a year and a half, um, and then you know. 172,000 on top of that uh, in private education. So people are leaving classrooms in droves. When they talk about there being a tight labor market, that that there's a shortage of labor in America, um, like nowhere is that more prevalent right now than in education. And um, you would think when that, you know, that labor market is, is so tight um, that, bosses and 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 at school districts in our case uh would offer us more money uh would offer us reasons to stay um and well we haven't really seen that not not to what i've seen um some places have like offered like small stipends um like a couple thousand dollars there was one here last year that was a i think it was a couple hundred um but but it's it's not it's it's not solving the problem. I mean, if we look on Jefferson Parish, which is where I live uh, and work, um, if you look at our school, like if you look at our school district um, job availabilities, our openings, there's hundreds of them, uh, and we have a fairly large school district, um, about fifty thousand kids. You know, f- fairly large for it's the biggest in Louisiana. I mean, it's not like large in the sense of like Chicago school district or like New York or, 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 or California, like Los Angeles or anything like that. Like it's, it's large for the state of Louisiana. Um, the largest in the state of Louisiana to be hundred percent clear. Um, back to the insider article. Um, to some extent, I'm not worried about the September numbers in education just because I think they were driven by seasonal adjustment. Zhao, Zhao is the Daniel Zhao is the, uh, glass door person and um that's pretty funny that he thinks that but it's actually a reminder that job losses in education over the this is like when dude when the school year starts you expecting like jobs to drop and they've dropped since like this dude is so obviously full of it like they've been dropping for a year and a half dude it's not just that you like they just didn't start dropping yesterday like there's, it's a continual like dive in education, dude. What are you talking about? Education is one of the industries that still has the largest shortfall in employment relative to before the pandemic, uh, according to that that, that guy that's full of it. Um, teachers have struggled with low wages and difficult working conditions for years. Can confirm that's my life. 
Although skewed uh, seasonal adjustments undoubtedly played a role in decline in teaching jobs, low wages in the sector were an issue pre-pandemic with health concerns around uh, returning to in-person teaching during the pandemic. The teacher shortage persists. So, yeah. Um, former talk about economist for the for Obama administration, Betsy Stevenson, wrote on Twitter that, quote, job loss in education and caregiving highlights the problems that are holding the United States back and uh, were problems long before the pandemic. So, like, this is just something that's been brewing for a long time coming to a very, very sharp head. Like, teachers have been treated like they were, they've been taken for granted, let's just put it that way, um, for a very long time. And they've taken it on the chin like a bunch of troopers and rolled over for the good of the kids. And what has ended up happening in that period of time is that, um, you know, um, health plans have gotten worse. Pay has stagnated for many, many years. And um, more responsibilities have been piled on the teachers. So um, now with the like with this pandemic situation, there's a lot more that goes into work that like so. Uh, I can give a couple examples. Um, there's a lot more cleaning protocols. There's a lot more social distancing protocols. There's mask um, protocols in my state. Thank goodness we have a mask mandate here in Louisiana um, to uh, at least somewhat um, slow the spread of of covid in, in our schools but um you know part of what comes along with that is policing the mask mandate essentially and policing the the policy for masks in schools um so yeah it's it's been it's been very difficult and kids kids are are kids and they're gonna do kid stuff they're gonna if you turn around they're gonna be you know, whip their mask down or whatever when you when you can't do it. You can't watch everything all the time as much as we would like to think that we can. Um, along with teachers, there have been reports in recent months on shortages for other jobs related to education, like bus drivers. Bus drivers have been on strike also in places. We talked about that just a little bit ago. Uh, and food service workers that could be contributing to September's data. Insider has reported on the bus driver shortage largely caused by drivers unwilling to work for low wages during the pandemic. They don't pay bus drivers enough at all. For example, the Chesterfield County Public Schools in Virginia raise hourly pay by three dollars, etc. So just to kind of close, I mean, we talked a lot about workers being pressed into um, un unsustainable conditions in uh, education, bus driving, um, the, the theater workers. There's been thousands of workers on strike in. Um, Alabama. So, like, we're what we're looking at is essentially a veritable strike tober, folks. It's uh, strikes happening. Like, workers are upset, teachers are quitting, and and we're in a situation where um, you know, things are something's going on, something's happening, and it's I don't know. Definitely make sure that you're watching this space and make sure that you're listening to WHIV LP New Orleans 102.3. This has been your good morning comrade. Thank you, everyone. I love you. Goodbye.